Hello, and welcome back to Nature's Wonders. I'm your host, Will, and today we are joined with Lewis. Lewis is here to talk about all things orchids, from the study of orchids, the history of orchids, and even the science of orchids. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned till the end. This podcast is sponsored by Corals Anonymous and Aquatrar. How are you doing today, Lewis? I'm very good, actually. Uh, thanks for inviting me. And I'm thrilled to talk about my passion, which are the orchid world. Yes, thank you so much for coming on the show today. So you talked about how your passion is orchids. Can you give a little more of an in-depth explanation about what that is? Well, this passion is uh, very similar to perhaps maybe an, an addiction. <laughs> this started uh, many years ago when I was only 14 years old, I'm 41 now, so 27 years involved with orchids. It started with a, with a contest uh, for school. They asked us for painting an, an orchid. We had this orchid show night before in, in Quito and I'm, and I like to paint. I won a contest the year before in 1993. So they asked me to paint something related or, or, or to paint an orchid. Uh, and I had, I honestly had no idea what really was an orchid. I mean, everyone knows the word and that's a very interesting phenomenon. People know about orchids, but they don't really know much about orchids so i started doing uh, a bit of research and i i looked in a magazine in a national geographic magazine from 1971 i think and there was a very nice uh, um, article there about orchids and i immediately fell in love with them i painted these orchids and when I went to the orchid show where I was supposed to, to to go and see if I won or something, I I, I met the orchids in all their how would you say northern their beautifulness and I was stunned. So uh, yeah, since then I I haven't been able to let them go. Or have any objective view of life without orchids. So I've, mm-hmm. I've been well painting them, taking photographs, growing them. Um, I also been very lucky on doing research on them. And for the past five years or so, I've been doing research for the university in Ecuador. And what we are mainly doing now is. Uh, trying to discover more species, which is incredible because Ecuador has already around 4,200 species recorded and we keep finding new species. So what I'm doing now is mostly taxonomy, which means naming the orchids systematics, which is organizing this group of orchids and some DNA uh, studies, ecological and also Things that has to have to do with distribution and ecology. 
So that's basically what I do with my passion. Wow, that's incredible. So how you said you they discovered like 2200 orchid species just in Ecuador? 4200. <laughs> yeah, wow. it's it's amazing. Ecuador with next to Colombia are the two countries with more diversity of orchids around the world. Uh, we suspect that we might find and maybe Ecuador will end up with 5,000 species or so. And maybe Colombia more, but we are in a nice competition there with the Colombian people. And I'm also doing research with many colleagues from, from Colombia. Wow. So when you find a new orchid species, what is the process that you take to classify it and get it into the correct like species or family that it belongs to? Okay, so the, the orchid family is, as you can see, very extent and very big. And we first we need to uh, define that these are new species, although the concept species is very complex to define and, and there's a lot of uh, are, well, some agreements and, and disagreements of how a species of orchid should be defined or not but what we are using in, in, in our uh, research group is a concept based on reality and based uh, first in evolution so we try to uh, define a new species or, or acknowledge a new species based on many factors and an evolutionary perspective where we consider uh, DNA and morphology, ecology, pollination, and, and the, all these factors. So what we first need to see is if there's not another species, a known species that would, would fit this new discovery. And the idea is like to try to fit the new taxa, the new thing we found, even if we have to fit it uh, kind of using a hammer. So that the idea is not to create new names for species that already exist, but after doing this first research, which might be the, the most important of trying to see if there's no already known species, even if these are like forgotten species that they were once found and maybe no one found it again. So after that, we can for sure know that these are new species. They don't fit in the concept of the already described species. After that, we, of course, we, we have to know which genus, which genera does the new species belong to. Uh, there are around 700 genera worldwide, around 300 genera in Ecuador, and that, that would be the first step, try to see if this belongs to any known genera. Uh, after we checked all the species in the genera, we are for sure now uh, decided to describe these new species. So there's a lot of rules, botanic rules, and there's international nomenclature, plant nomenclature code uh, that we have to follow. It's more something like a legal thing 
which has all these rules and, and articles that specify how to describe a new tax. The tax, uh, when, when I say tax, uh, it means a new group of living things that form a particular group, which could be a species, a subspecies, or a, a genera even. So when, when we uh, use the rules, we know, for example, that we have to name the species in Latin. And as, as you know, Latin is uh, the language no longer used. Mm -hmm. It's a dead language. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but that means that Latin won't change. So if we call a species under Latin uh, words, someone from the future or someone from Japan or anyone can know what we are talking about. So we give, the, we, we give this name and we all know what we are talking about. And after that, the description, which is, we do it in a to make a drawing, a very specific drawing, not, not so artistic, but very detailed and scientific. And the drawing is, is actually, the illustration is actually a, how would you say, like a graphic description of the species, okay? Yeah. Uh -huh. And the uh, botanical description, and we also like discuss what are the similar species, why, why is this species different from any other known one, and, and that's it. We send this article to a magazine in, in the university. We are uh, asked to publish in known magazines, scientific magazines under some indexes. For example, we always have to publish under, under the Scopus index. Um, what it means is that these articles will be checked by <coughs> pairs. Like we, we will have peer viewing on these articles. So other scientists from around the world, which are expected to be like our, our, our peers or, or even know more than we know, we'll check the article, we'll check for mistakes. And after that, if we pass this process and correct any suggestions, the articles are, are published. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a, that's a really in-depth process, but for discovering a new species, I guess that's what you really need to do to make sure everything goes out well. But... When you're when you're discovering these species, when you find them in the wild, are you collecting like a sample or a clipping, or is it all just studies that you do in the rainforest or like in the actual environment that it's found? No, uh, we need to collect. Um, there's two main reasons for it. First, uh, any plant, any animal, and any living thing that is going to be uh, described has to, needs a, a, a voucher, needs a physical a backup, okay? So in plants, we have to make an herbarium, which means we have to dry a piece of the plant that will represent the species. Uh, it, it has to be fertile, so it means it has to be with flowers, and this will be attached to a, to a piece of, 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 of paper, and this will be... Uh, kept in, in an institution, which are also called herbariums. So we have to collect them. But the other reason is that uh, 
we need to do more research. So even if in the field we have like nice photographs and, 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 and evidence that this is a new species, we will have to, uh, for example, uh, have fresh flowers and, and, and like uh, open them and dissect them and take photographs and, and measure them. So normally, or not normally, but always, we will take some samples. In Ecuador, you are asked to have a permit for this, and which is called actually a, a scientific permit. So we always get these permits and uh, it can be frustrating, for example, if you don't have a permit and you like cross with a new species or something and maybe you won't see it again. But we have, we have to get these permits and we have to collect uh, living plants. These living plants are expected to grow so we we have we take these small samples from the herbarium, but normally we grow these living plants in institution which has permits like the Quito Botanical Garden or any other botanical mm -hmm. garden. Yeah. So when you collect these plants, you actually collect like the whole plant roots and everything, or is it just like a clipping of the plant? It could be a clipping. I mean, uh, there are very very big plants in nature that you can see that, for example, these plants are providing the, the, the seed. These are like mother plants that will provide the seed for the populations. So normally we will take only a clipping. Uh, but in other cases, you can see like a whole population where the individual plants are, are small with a few uh, stems or something. So we take the whole plant. Uh, it depends on the case, and the the idea is that we need mm -hmm. we need to take a sample that will uh, have all the components for the description of the plant. Okay. Yeah. And then you were talking about you take the DNA from the plant, and Matt will help you classify it. Yes. As well, what is the process behind that? So one of the studies, uh, one of the the evidence you're looking for is a DNA test. Normally for a new species, it depends on the genera to which the species belongs, uh, meaning that there are very recently evolved uh, orchid species. For example, for the, the genus Dracula, we know that most of the Draculas are very recently evolved and molecular evidence uh, meaning DNA evidence will be, maybe we don't have any evidence. And why is this? Because normally what we use is not the whole DNA uh, belonging to, to, to this plant, but we use like some parts of the DNA. We use some sections of the DNA. And what we do is we compare these sections with other known species, uh, other relatives, so we can see that uh, these are, for example, different on the sequence of the DNA, or we can see that these are like more closely related to a certain species. Uh, all these sequences are kept in the gene bank. So the gene bank is accessed by anyone around the world. And when you do a study using DNA of plants, you have to upload these sequences to the gene bank. So that's what we do. But for a new species, and, and when we are talking about recently evolved, there are a lot of 
groups that seem to be very new in the evolutionary story, you wouldn't expect much difference concerning the, the DNA uh, studies. Even if you do, for example, a sequencing of the whole DNA uh, of the plant, which would be well more expensive and, and, and a lot of work because you have millions of, 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 of bases, what we call of, of mutagenic bases, uh, even there, very few species from these recently evolved groups will have differences, okay? It's, it's considering, for example, the difference between the chimpanzee and the humans is only about, I think, 2% of the whole DNA. So mm -hmm. we do this because uh, for two reasons. We, we want to see if there's any difference between the species and also we want to see where can these new species uh, be placed, like uh, considering the evolutionary uh, story? Okay, so we can we want to see if these species are, for example, more related to this other group of species, to, for example, Andean species or the lowland uh, tropical forest or whatever. So the DNA studies also help us to understand that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, when you're keeping an orchid, like as a hobby, what are some like big mistakes that you see people make? I feel like orchids are really not an easy plant to keep alive. Uh, they might be not that hard, but I just feel like a lot of people do it wrong. So, what are your, what are your thoughts on? being able to keep an orchid alive and make it like flourish. Okay, um, so besides my, my my relationship with orchids on science, I also grew a lot of orchids. Not, not as many now, but I, I, I grew a lot of species of orchids for the past years. And the main thing is that orchids, well, first, uh, there's like no rule or no simple way of understanding orchids on culture like there are orchids that might grow almost underwater and there are orchids that grow more more similar to like like cacti so the rule for the orchids we would buy somewhere like normally if we go to this uh, shopping center or, or whatever we will find just a few group of orchids. What we have to understand is that, for example, the, the orchids sold in, 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 in the shops are more like uh, a little bit of um, monsters that have been adapted to our conditions, okay? So when we go to the forest, orchids grow there, like adapted to, to very specific conditions. But when we buy this commercial uh, big flower, uh, orchids they are they have been a, a little bit designed for our conditions most of these orchids are and this 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 is actually a rule are not very fond of a lot of watering okay and that's the first mistake we think of orchids uh, as these very fragile uh water demanding plants that come from very moist tropical forests or whatever but 
the orchids we normally grow will not like a lot of water. So the rule is like to water them and rewater them when the roots, when the culture media is dry again. So they don't like to be swamped. They don't like to be uh, the whole time with too much water. So what they say, this is a saying between orchid growers is that you can kill an orchid uh, by overwatering over them in seven days, but you will kill it by underwatering it uh, after seven weeks. So orchids are adapted, and mo most of the orchids are adapted to uh, drought, okay? So they don't like to be overwatered. That's the first thing. The, the other thing is that normally orchids won't be grown in soil, okay? In, in what you use for growing other uh, indoor plants. They are grown in a mixture of uh, some sort of bark and volcanic rock or, 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 or perlite and, and things like that. Because orchids and, and the orchids we grow, they evolve to grow uh, on top of branches of trees, on, on trunks and branches. So they are uh, what we call in, in, in the scientific term epiphytic plants, which means epi is, mm -hmm. is over on top of, in amphitos is, is plants. So they only grow on top of other plants. Why they do this? Because they need light. They don't have wood on their stems so they are uh, very intelligent plants and have evolved to not develop this very energetic demanding trunk but they they will grow on top of these other plants that develop wow that's crazy. i mean if we talk about orchids yeah. they have a lot of adaptations that they actually look like very wise and very smart plants so that's that's the main thing. Um, we have to consider that we live in in caves. <laughs> Humans have not changed the preference of living in caves. We have now uh, built sophisticated caves, but but concerning light and, and, and conditions, we still live in caves. Um, uh, what I mean is that plants need light. And we humans are adapted to live in, in very uh, low light, uh, low illumination places. Even when we think that we have very nice, I don't know, uh, LED lights, living room or whatever, we, we have this particular way of seeing light. We have our pupils that will delay, um, will close depending on the light, but plants will not be tricked uh, about light. Plants need light to grow. and Normally, plants are adapted to grow uh, on high light, high demanding, high light demanding places. And orchid is not the, the exception. And that's one of the main things also that we expect for our plants like to thrive in, in very low light conditions, but we need light for them. Other thing is temperature. Normally, we will, even if we are in the northern hemisphere or the or in the equator, uh, people will live under a certain relatively constant uh, range of temperatures, and that's also very very important. Uh, plants will commercial orchids are adapted to our conditions, so. 
that's also important to know that they are not, they will prefer lower temperatures than too high, okay? And the idea that we have of these orchids growing in very warm tropical forests, which is not a lie, but very few species are adapted to that. Normally orchids will uh, adapt to lower temperatures and not too high temperatures, okay? So that's also interesting. Uh, so the main thing is like not to overwater them, give them light, and be, be careful of not overwarming our plants, okay? Mm -hmm. So to keep with the light at your house, what would be a good setup to grow your orchids? Do you think a windowsill is enough to keep an orchid alive with like a sun-facing window? Or do you think you need like a external Not light really. source? really. I mean, the windowsills are, are great. Uh, you have to consider that it's not a good idea to have direct sunlight on the plants uh, when they're, when it's uh, from, for example, noon or close, close to noon, like the direct sunlight for orchids, orchid culture should come from very early in the morning or very late in the afternoon. So if you have like a window where you can place some plants, as long as they don't get burned by like strong sun from, from mm -hmm. close to noon, uh, the plants will do, will do fine. Mm -hmm. So you, when you, we're talking about the care of the orchids. You were talking about the different evolution, the evolutionary things that the orchids like evolved to grow as an epiphyte. What other crazy evolutions have the orchids There's gone through? Many crazy evolutionary adaptations. One of them is the seeds. So the seeds of, of most of the orchids are very tiny. Actually, uh, orchids have the smallest seeds compared to any other living plant. And the seeds are basically these tiny uh, dust-sized uh, thing that will only have a few cells that will conform the embryo. And the, the rest is almost like this papery bag that will be, that is adapted to fly, okay? So imagine like seeing, when you see a, a bag left in the, in the street that starts flying with this, like with the wind, is the same adaptation that, that the seeds of orchids mm -hmm. have de developed. So they, sacri they sacrificed wow. uh, the other components, like for example, the, the food that comes normally on a seed, like all, all of the seeds we know come with this uh, reserve of food that will help the, the, the plant to, to germinate and also to grow before they start like uh, having nutrition from the ground, from the soil. Uh, the orchid seeds won't have these reserves, so they will need to fall uh, somewhere where there, there are these particular fungi, which are called the mycorrhizal fungi. So orchid seeds need uh, the mycorrhizal fungi for germination and development. Uh, this is a relationship, a symbiotic uh, relationship, which is also an adaptation of orchids. Why is this happening? Because the seeds of orchids need to travel, they need to, to fly, and they need to get on the top of trees 
in order to thrive. But they have sacrificed all the other components and they are now, uh, they have to, to, to relate to this, uh, this fungi in order to, ter to terminate. Other adaptations are the pollination systems, which are amazing and perhaps the most exotic and the most evolved uh, pollinating system in, in plants. Uh, what we have to think is that mm -hmm. orchids are, are using animals to take their pollen, their pollen and uh, put it in another orchid flower. This is used by many, many plants, but in orchids, the pollen is packed in these little backpacks that will stick on the insect's uh, back or the insect's face or the insect's legs, okay? So this system, this this group of mm -hmm. pollen packed in these, in these bags are called the pollinarium or the pollinia. So orchids have developed this adaptation of having all of their pollen packed in these little bags, uh, a pair of, bag, of bags. Many of orchids have two pair of these bags. Other orchids have four or eight or, or more pair of these bags. And, and these things will be transported by the pollinators, okay? So the most amazing thing is that the pollinators won't even know that what they are doing. So the orchid flowers attract mm -hmm. pollinators offering uh, many things. Some of the cases, some of the flowers will offer uh, nectar, but the, also a very interesting thing is that many orchids uh, have all the signs, give all the signs of, for example, offering nectar and they won't uh, offer nectar, like they will deceive this, these insects. Some orchids will look and will even smell like the female of some insect species. So the, ma so the male insects will go wow. there and try to copulate with the flowers. And of course, uh, they won't be able to do it, but what they will be able is to carry this pollen and move it to another flower. So uh, a very interesting thing is that orchids deceive insects at least twice because they have to first visit a flower, take the pollen, and afterwards they have to visit another flower and leave the pollen there. Mm -hmm. So is that one of the reasons why there are so many orchid species, just yes. because of the cross-pollination? Yes. Yeah, that's the, one of the reasons. Wow. I mean, there's so many uh, insect species. Not all orchids are pollinated by insects, but most of them are. So, yeah, that's one of the explanations that there's so many uh, insect species in the world that orchids have taken advantage of that and have specialized to these insect species. So there's a lot of orchid species as well. Wow, that's crazy. So... You were talking about how the orchids have been like commercialized and mainstreamed kind of to fit our conditions and environment. Has this had any like impact on the the real environment of orchids like the rainforest? Uh, and other yes. Like that? So well the the story of orchid science, culture, uh, conservation and and everything uh, it's very interesting and, and also very different to many other plant families. Uh, orchids had this 
period in history which has been designed the orchid delirium you can check it in, in wikipedia uh the orchid delirium was this sort of these these decades uh in the mainly in the 19th century where having an orchid like growing an orchid a specific orchid was uh something related to status okay to social and economical status and many people from England, mainly England and France, also Germany, uh, paid a large amount of money uh, to these orchid hunters, which were actually people willing to risk even their lives for new species of orchids. They will travel to these remote places in, in the tropics, uh, South America, Asia, even Africa, whatever, looking for new species, uh, showy, big flower species that uh, they would sell to these uh, very wealthy people. Uh, considering that there's this adaptation of the seeds that will only germinate with fungi, uh, they didn't know particularly that it, there, there was this fungi and all these things, but they know that they, they weren't able to germinate orchids like in a normal way. So uh, an orchid plant was very, very rare. Uh, the only way of reproducing plants were like having these uh, divisions, these cuttings. And so there's a, there were a lot of mm -hmm. people looking for orchids. And this was a thing of like having a Lamborghini on your garage. Like uh, these nobles and these wealthy people will have these parties and will invite all these very important people around their, their society uh, when, for example, this particular species of orchid was going to bloom. Um, this also gave the first, how would you say, like the first impulse for science, orchid science. So it's very interesting that orchid science mm -hmm. and orchid culture were very close to each other from the beginning. Now you have a lot of scientists trying to perhaps not get involved or, or they don't have, they don't like to, uh, they don't like orchid culture and everything, but like science and, and orchid culture were uh, very related from the beginning. And many of these people that were paying large amounts of money uh, will maybe unintentionally discover a lot of species um, some of the first orchid scientists will go to these people's collections and and ask for uh like flowers or something for 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 the first time the first taxonomy and the first classification of the orchid family so orchids now on and, and we still have this sense of feeling that orchids are like a high status thing uh, not only because of the price this orchid would reach uh, like many years ago, but because even science needed of these uh, high society uh, greenhouses in order to be developed. Um, what was the impact in the nature and in, in the natural populations? Well, the impact was that, yeah, many well, thousands of plants were uh, ripped from the forests um at the beginning many of these plants will not thrive in, in culture many of the plants will die when they arrive europe um, 
there was a big impact. Um, for example, the Catleya genus. Catleya was one of the one of, of these classic type of orchids that were wiped out from many na uh, natural populations. Um, now, for example, Catleya dobiana is one of the rarest species to be found in nature because many, many, many plants were taken with the years, but they are still being taken uh, and ripped from the from the forest. The other main pressure for orchid subsistence are the the clearance of the of these habitats. Like they are cutting down a lot of forests in, in our countries. We are sadly we have all these minery projects and also oil companies and like palm culture that are taking down many of the forests and, and that's I would say that is the the actual and the now nowadays is the biggest pressure on orchid subsistence but we still have a lot of poaching now what we are having in particularly in Ecuador Colombia and these uh, diverse countries we have poaching for new species so there's a lot of orchid societies around the world there's a lot of orchid growers and, and they like to collect and they are uh, they have these amazing collections of certain, for example, certain genera, and they are trying to get like new species every time. Not only that, but many new species uh, are being called after many of these orchid growers. Um, that's why we still have on the 21st century, like a lot of species, even if they belong to Ecuador or Colombia, they are called after growers in, 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 in the Netherlands or, or Germany. So we still have that, and the most, you would say, the the, the poaching of all, most uh, orchids from here comes from the desire of new species to be exported of Ecuador. But also we have poaching uh, in our countries. Like there's a lot of people growing in Ecuador, and that's also a problem because people are taking orchids, even if these are known species, like. When a, when a lady on this little town start, starts growing, uh, her friends like these, and they start also growing orchids. And even uh, even though we have like commercial companies here with all the permits, people will still take orchids out of the of the forest. Mm. So, wow, yeah. What are these companies? Is there a way to like to grow them commercially or with the fungus, or is that kind of still? Well, uh, not in able 1921, to uh, a scientist called Knudsen, he was able to uh, make these uh, artificial growing media that will give the seeds what the fungi will give in nature which is mainly uh, nutrition, um, macro and, and micronutrients like nitrogen, carbon, and, and these other nutrients, zinc, uh, molybdenum, uh, iron, or whatever. But a very important component that the fungi was giving these, these seeds is sugar. So uh, this guy made this agar, this, this culture media, and was able to plant the seeds in in, so in in sterile conditions because you need 
to put the seeds in a very well in, in totally sterile conditions since these culture media will, would be first used by bacteria and fungi so you need the seeds to get to this media so the only condition and it's actually sort of simple i i had a lab for 10 years and what you need is a laminar flow hood which is this uh, cabinet where where you have sterile conditions mm-hmm. by blowing air through a filter and the media is also not too complicated to fabricate uh, and, and from 1921 orchids were able to be reproduced artificially not all of the species there are still many species that are very uh, hard to reproduce and, and we don't understand what they mean for, for example for germination but most of the species of orchids are now able to be reproduced uh, by lab conditions and as I tell you, these are not like very expensive labs or, or sophisticated. Even the, the the laminar flow hood, which is the main equipment, you can grow it yourself if you buy the correct filter and, and a couple of blowers. So yeah, I mean, we are now being able to reproduce them. The thing is that when you are talking about new species, uh, the only way of getting these new species is, is by taking them out of the of nature, of their habitats. Uh, afterwards, they will reproduce these new species, but the thing is that uh, some of the people actually want the new species, and the only way of getting new species is by uh, going and hunting them from, from the forest. So we still have that, that sort of pressure. And the other thing is that even mm-hmm. though these companies have permits, uh, many of these companies will still um, poach and We'll do a sort of green wash uh, when sporting new species, for example. Uh, they will get permits for known species and they will uh, export and will poach the new species under the name of known species, for example. Uh, since there's so many species, it's very hard for yeah. the authorities and, and even harder when the plants, for example, don't have flowers. So how an authority can be able to, for example, know that there's a new species, even when uh, the plant is in flowers. So that's one of the problems we still have. So many of the companies, not all of them, but a few are still doing this uh, trick of exporting new species under no names and uh, species, already known species with permits. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I learned so much from you, and orchids are just such a beautiful plant. So thank you so much for well, uh, giving welcome, your information. Thank you for inviting me. Hopefully this has not been too much or boring. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Definitely well. not. <laughs> <laughs>